From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, in their first in-person debate of the 2020 election season, Vermont's candidates for governor laid out divergent views of how the state should raise and spend its money and used some conflicting numbers in the process. Our reporter Kit Norton breaks down two key claims from Tuesday's debate between Governor Phil Scott and Lieutenant Governor David Zuckerman. Thank you all for joining us today on the VT Digger live stream. It's terrific to see you all here at the Mad River Barn in Waitsfield for the second of two debates. Kit, thanks for jumping on. My pleasure. Will you help me set the scene a little bit? Uh, Obviously, the circumstances of our doing a debate were kind of unusual this year. What's the vibe in the room for these events? You know, it's it's definitely not your normal in-person debate at all. It's one, it's a beautiful venue, but there is this little, because there's no outside crowd and and public, you know, there's a spattering of press, some members of the candidates' teams that are in the room. So it makes for a bit of a slightly, almost awkward, slightly exciting um, experience, I would say, overall, but definitely bizarre for all parties involved, I would say. And despite any awkwardness, right off the bat, they got into some pretty intense policy discussion. And one of the first things that came up was this tax proposal that David Zuckerman has been talking about on the trail. What is in that proposal? So this proposal is called a wealth tax. Well, what I've looked into is about a $100 million temporary tax on the wealthiest 5%. That is half of what they got from the Trump tax cuts that have not trickled down to everyday working Vermonters. Basically, it would be an income tax increase on the number that's being bandied about is on the top 5% of earners in the state. Got it. So it's not, it's not a wealth tax in the sense that people who have a lot of money in the bank, that money's getting taxed. It's no an income tax surcharge that they would be bringing in here. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. And the, the plan that Zuckerman is putting forward, we're not talking about something that would go on forever. It would be a, a stopgap five-year plan to raise revenue in the state. And it's also tied to making sure, to trying to make sure that those people who are predominantly the most wealthy people in, in the state who have been taking advantage of some of the, the tax cuts put forward by President Donald Trump and Congress in 2017, who have seen massive savings, the state would be able to recapture some of that money that was lost because of those uh, tax cuts. And then again, this wealth tax would run until the Trump tax cuts are, are scheduled to expire, which I believe is in 2026. So that's kind of the idea around what, what uh, Zuckerman is talking about. And uh, it's not clear yet what that what that tax increase would be. Uh, there's similar legislation um, to what Zuckerman is proposing, which was introduced uh, this past session, uh, both in the uh, Vermont House and Vermont Senate, which is in part of this, ver- quote, Vermont Green New Deal. And that is a 1.6% increase on folks who are making between 200 and 500K. And then it would be, there would be an additional 0.15% on folks who are making more than 500K. And what's this money meant to be used for? So the, the, the point of raising this money is both in the legislation uh, that was proposed and then also what Zuckerman is talking about is really to combat climate change. 
And for him, what that means is make sure that there's additional funding for weatherization, making sure that folks, uh, low-income Vermonters specifically, their homes are able to be um, properly weatherized. Then there's also more things for making sure that our transportation can be electrified. And then also, which kind of sets it apart from some of the other uh, climate change initiatives that are being discussed, uh, Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman is also putting lumping within this uh, broadband build-out, which has been hmm. discussed so much in the state. But for him, he's talking about how this is integral to how the state can com- combat climate change, because by making sure that uh, people in rural Vermont have good broadband, it'll cut down on how many people are going to be forced to commute to their jobs. Those are all infrastructure investments so that when that temporary tax ends, there would not be the pressure to keep it going, because we would invest in the infrastructure that would then build the economy, which would grow for our state. So all of this is wrapped into what this this tax would uh, would pay for. Got it. So he's out of the gate talking about this tax. How does Governor Phil Scott respond? Well, it, it should come as a shock to no one that um, Governor Phil Scott is not a not a not a fan of this type of tax. Um, you know, he's gone through his entire uh, time in, in in the governor's office saying no new taxes, no new fees. Phil. Yeah, I think uh, you know the question is all good initiatives and worthwhile initiatives, but how are you going to pay for it? Um, and that's something that uh, that I've focused on over the last four years. Uh, he you know, sees the, this, the one, as unrealistic. And two, he said, he challenged Zuckerman that saying that by, by taxing the top 5% earners, that would include folks who are making, you know, in the 150K range of, of income annually. And that that would include, you know, teachers, you know, a two-teacher household. You know, the, the top 5% uh, of those who pay taxes in their state Uh, make $159,000 per family and more. So we're talking about middle-class families that are going to be taxed more uh, for some of those initiatives. So he came back saying that basically while Zuckerman is attempting to tax um, the most wealthy, Vermont does not have that many wealthy people, and so this tax would actually be hitting middle-class Vermonters. Um, We have, I think, uh, those making over a million dollars in the state of Vermont right now, I believe there's only 500 now, you impose a wealth tax, what are they going to do? They're just going to establish residency somewhere else. And then they're going to, uh, and then they're going to visit the state. And they're going to stay in their homes as uh, non-residents. So I think it's just counterintuitive. We just don't have the numbers uh, that I'm hearing that we do. Again, when you take the 5%, 5% of the, of the, of the highest income uh, pay 40% of our taxes right now. That 5% starts at $159,000 per family. So we're not talking about a great grand amount of money here. And this is something that is very different from what progressive lawmakers in the legislature had been using as the, the amount of money that would start the tax and, and what Zuckerman himself was saying. So this, this made our ears prick up for sure. It seems like there's a fundamental difference here between the figures that each side is throwing around. Can you help me break this down? Who uh, is looking at what numbers here and um, what makes the most sense here? So this is where we get into a bit of a, an interesting uh, conundrum because the, both sides are looking at 2018 tax data to make these claims. However, there was a joint fiscal office report put together at the beginning of 2020 that was for the drafting of this legislation that I talked about earlier that was introduced as the top uh, 5% of, uh, in terms of percentile groups, starting at 200K. So that's where this number 
that top 5% and then this $200,000 beginning for who, who would see this tax is coming from on Zuckerman's side on progressive lawmakers side. However, the governor and the administration, the tax department put together information for them in order to look at this bill. And they say, and, and the tax department's numbers say that actually the top 5% of, of filers of all the folks who are paying taxes, that would actually start in around, um, I believe they even say 159K. So it, it's very possible that they're both talking about the same thing here, but simply their numbers are different. So there's a difference there of about $40,000 in terms of where that line is, what includes the top 5%. It sounds like there's also just kind of some looseness in the use of the term middle class. Uh, like, how do we define who's considered middle class and who's not? That's right. And also, it should be noted that Zuckerman and lawmakers who have put the, this type of plan forward have never talked about wanting to tax folks who are making $150,000 a year. It was always based on this $200,000. So even if, say, the 5% does include this, this is not what any of them have been discussing. So uh, if it's just simply a mis miscommunication, that's also important to understand. But this is right. This is a lot of, of aspects. It depends on which uh, report was done on the tax data, how you're looking at it in terms of whether it's the top five. There's also the difference between percentile group and, and, and total voters. And then there's also what, what is considered middle class. And, and as Governor Scott is quick to point to, those people who would see a tax increase are already paying, I believe, over 40% of the state's taxes at, at, to begin with. And, and of course, from his point of view, putting more taxes on anyone is not necessarily the greatest way to, to solve some of the state's issues and specifically the demographic issue. Lieutenant Governor Zuckerman looks at it a different way. Got it. You're saying that regardless of the numbers here, this type of disconnect shows us something that's kind of fundamentally different about their approaches to economic issues. This, this is a perfect example of where the two diverge. Zuckerman, as a progressive Democrat, he's looking at ways in order to make sure that government is going out there and trying to make sure that there are mandates or taxes put in place to build up society and build up the state. I've heard from many that do locate to Vermont because of who we are, what we do as a community, and many have said they're willing and think that it is appropriate that after seeing tax cuts after tax cuts after tax cuts at the federal level, uh, they would be willing to pay more to rebuild the Vermont economy, to help their neighbors. Many Governor Scott looks at it very differently in terms of trying to make sure as a fiscal conservative to make sure that private enterprise is able to, to do what is needed. And that the best way to deal with issues is not necessarily to, to levy a new tax. From my standpoint, I want people to have more money in their pockets. I think we share the goal of having that happen. We have a different way approach to getting there. I mean, I think your approach is just tax people more. Just, just increase the burden. Uh, increase their wages so they can pay them more, more than the taxes, uh, which inflates uh, the, the, the cost of the economy. So my approach is um, more supply and demand. Uh, it's I this very clear uh, distinction between the two, the two candidates. Got it. What are some other moments from Tuesday night's debate that stuck out to you? This was really the big one in terms of the wealth tax and specifically how it related to climate. The other one, which uh, was during a, a pretty um, spirited debate, was also around a bit of a squabble in terms of, again, a numbers game around how much of a budget cut Governor Scott and his administration had 
allegedly proposed during um, the beginning of the COVID-19 crisis. Our governor proposed initially a 5% cut across the board in state government, which would have further injured and weakened our infrastructure for vulnerable Vermonters and would have not invested in the economy of our future. To me, when we're struggling, that's when we do ask the wealthiest to help. What Zuckerman said during the debate was that Governor Scott had initially put forward a 5% budget cut proposal. And then the governor quickly said, I don't know what you're talking about, David. I would love to see uh, the 5% reduction proposal you keep talking about that I propose. Um, maybe you could provide that to me because I haven't seen it. Well, when, when the budget uh, process started in the middle of COVID, I believe you even might have said 8%. But then because there was a quarterly budget, it became 2 at the time for that quarter. Uh, thankfully, the legislature and thankfully the taxpayers it was uh, not, had resources There was no proposal, in. David. Let's be honest. So this is where we start off. And this is also, you know, this is where we get into kind of the, the, the craziness of the budget discussion that took place uh, this year because of COVID-19. Because we're talking about two different budgets, one that was passed uh, at the end of June, which was for the first quarter of fiscal year 21. And then the legislature came back uh, later in the summer. Uh, to deal with uh, the, the rest of uh, the fiscal year's budget because of this, there was this whole thing in terms of where's the revenue, what are we doing with COVID. So this comes into you know a time when there, uh, the budget discussions were crazy. So how does Scott respond in this case? Well, again, Scott says basically, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure where you're getting that number. Uh, you know, that doesn't seem accurate to me. I, don't, I really don't know what you're talking about. Um, and so it really comes down to where did um, Zuckerman get this get, get this number? So the Scott administration did put forward uh, a proposed budget cut for again this quarter one fiscal year twenty one budget uh, that was averaged around two uh, percent. Then we go forward to the next budget, which is a bit budget adjustment esque in a sense in that it dealt with some of the shortfalls from that quarter one budget and then filled in the rest of the fiscal year 21. And that was, again, on average, the administration proposed initially a a 3% cut, neither of which are a 5% cut. And then what Zuckerman says and what his campaign says he got that number from is that there was a, a document put forward by the administration early on in this process that was meant as a exercise for departments to try to find a way to see if they could cut 5%. So on the face of it, Zuckerman, his statement that there, it, this was an initial budget proposal to, to cut 5% is, is inaccurate. However, it is accurate to say that there were proposed cuts to the budget by the administration. However, we're talking about off by a few percentage points, and we're also talking about just a kind of a misunderstanding among all this hectic budget discussions that were, were taking place this year. What was Zuckerman trying to get at here? Like, what was the larger significance of bringing up the idea of budget cuts in the first place? So this, again, kind of talks to the, the, the main difference between these two. Zuckerman's point of view, this is not the time to be cutting government expenditures. This is a time to be making sure that everything is shored up so that the state can spend more and make sure that it's supporting the citizens, which are, we're, we're in you know, an economic downturn global pandemic. So this is where he's coming at it. This is not the time for, for budget cuts. The question is, in difficult times, do we cut our way out and do austerity budgeting, which is shown to fail in Greece, it's been shown to share, fail in this country, and what do we do after recessions? What do we do after the Great Depression? 
We infuse money into the economy. We build the infrastructure. And that's what I'm looking forward to do. We need vision to get out of this situation. We can't just say, well, when COVID's gone, little investments here and there will somehow re-spark the economy. We need to build to restart our economy. Governor Phil Scott and his administration are looking at it as a time, well, we're not sure what's going to happen here. Not sure in terms of what surplus revenues we're going to, are going to be, even though we did come in with a uh, record uh, revenue surplus. And then that we got to make sure that we're, we're set for the immediate future. I think what I'm hearing uh, from, and maybe we're hearing from different folks, what I'm hearing is uh, we're taxing people too much uh, here in Vermont. We're not providing enough certainty. Every, uh, every time there's a new, uh, a new initiative, it just costs more money and a new tax rather than finding money within the system uh, to make it more efficient. So um, my approach is different. I think uh, the proof is we, the first two years, there wasn't a single tax or fee. Uh, and since then, we've had surpluses every single year. So there is a path forward by reducing the, the burden that we can actually grow the economy organically. So again, this gets to a really basic difference between the two, a fiscal conservative response and approach to government and a liberal's approach to making sure that during tough times, safety welfare nets are in place and the government is not cutting back, but in fact spending up. Got it. Were there any moments in this debate where either of them strayed from those economic philosophies? It seems like in both these examples, they are hewing really closely to a, a really specific uh, economic ideology here. You know, you can, you can kind of see this, this thread of basic uh, philosophy around government and fiscal policy go all the way through the debate and really through their different careers in, in public service. Uh, you know, th these are two men who are seen, I would say, across the state as good, decent human beings who just really disagree on how state government should work and then what issues should the government put in place for Vermonters. This debate was really about the basic differences between the candidates, whether it be, you know, enacting minimum wage, paid family leave, climate change, climate action, no taxes and fees from the governor's point of view, you know, a wealth tax from, from uh, Zuckerman's point of view. This was really the through line through this entire debate. And, and it was why I, you know, it seemed that it was such a spirited contest because both of them know their philosophies and know what they're trying to say on these topics very clearly and are, are very excellent spokespeople for these different philosophies. Got it. Thanks, Kip. My pleasure, Mike. Well, I want to thank you both for coming tonight. It's been a great pleasure to hear from you, Phil Scott and David Zuckerman. Uh, thank you so much for coming and for taking the time. And if we could have a round of applause, please, for the candidates. You can find more reporting from Kit and our entire politics team including two in-depth fact checks from Tuesday's debate at vtdigger.org. You can also find a full recording of the debate on our site or our YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash vtdigger. This week, every registered active voter in Vermont has been sent their ballot for the general election. Find out what to do with yours and learn more about the candidates in our 2020 election guide at vtdigger.org slash elections. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger Newsroom. See you then.